We think about that as we've been working through God's uh, story of salvation in Scripture from that very beginning. Last week, we finally got to Jesus uh, and his public ministry uh, as he taught in parables, as he healed, revealing his identity of God's son, his power over creation, his power over devil and death itself. So uh, this week, uh, as we look at God's plan of salvation, uh, we want to look and see uh, how Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of so much of what God has done. So as we look, we we see how uh, the Old Testament sermons pointed forward. We we see how the the seed of the woman crushed uh, the serpent's head. Remember how that was that uh, in the garden. How when God provided that, that substitute, how he also provided for each one of us. When in Christ the Passover lamb was sacrificed, when David's son, his descendant Jesus, slayed Satan the giant. When Jesus was sealed in the lion's den of death. All of the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus as he dies on the cross. Well, how did we get here? Well, after three years of ministry, uh, Jesus doing all of those wonderful things, uh, the Jewish leaders uh, wanted to have Jesus arrested. They didn't like his power. They decided to accuse him of blasphemy, claiming uh, that he was God. So they bribed Judas, one of the disciples, one of the 12, uh, to find that way to quietly hand him over, not in public because they're afraid of a riot. And Judas seizes that opportunity as Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, They come along, they arrest Jesus under cover uh, of night. They were quickly to get Jesus falsely accused, falsely tried. It's barely 18 hours from the moment of Jesus being arrested till he's on the cross. Not even a full day. He's already convicted and sentenced, and the sentence is carried out as Jesus goes for the sins of the world to that cross. So we want to look at that this morning and spend some time uh, looking at those accounts of Jesus' suffering and death. We begin uh, in the Gospel of Luke as Luke begins to speak of that journey to the cross. He says, they led Jesus away. They seized Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the one on his left. There is Jesus. We talked more about it in Bible study this morning as Jesus is crucified, a torturous death that was actually Rome banned it from doing to Roman citizens. They only did it to foreigners. It was so torturous. As Jesus is on that cross for those hours, the Gospels record that Jesus spoke seven times. They're known as the seven last words of Christ. And as we look at each one of those, we really catch a wonderful full picture of what was going on that afternoon. 
Luke records the first of those words. It says, the first thing Jesus said from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Isn't it amazing that the first words out of Jesus' mouth are words of love, of forgiveness? He has every reason to lash out against these people, against all of humanity, as we are so ungrateful for his love. And he does the complete opposite. He says, I love them, I forgive them. In essence, he's saying, Father, unleash your wrath on me and give them forgiveness and life. As we hear that depth of his love, not excusing them, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing really magnifies the problem. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue who I am. They don't have a clue what's going on, Father. Forgive them. Luke continues talking about those uh, criminals. Criminals who railed against him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So many Christians over the years have found such great comfort in these words, this promise to the repentant thief. After all, basically this is his deathbed confession, isn't it? The thief had no opportunity to make amends for his wrong, to pay people back. The death penalty is already um, being served upon him. And yet out of God's pure grace and love and mercy, without any merit on the part of the thief, Jesus forgives him and promises him that he would that day be with him in paradise. How amazing. And could there be a better promise for any of us as well? When we're struck with grief, guilt, remorse, or regret about the things that we have said or done or left unsaid or undone, that God would look on each of us and say, Father, forgive them. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus suffered all that he did as our substitute completely satisfying God's wrath. Now we die in peace as we know that Jesus is our Savior and he's going to bring us home with him. Luke gave us the first two of the seven last words. We turn to John for the third. After this, Jesus saw his mother, Mary, standing by the cross with his disciple, John. Knowing that he would no longer be on earth to provide for her, Jesus entrusted his mother to John's keeping as he told Mary, Woman, behold your son. And he told John, Behold your mother. 
Jesus is suffering on the cross, bearing the weight of all the sins of all humanity of all time. And where is his heart? With his mother. And making sure that that she is cared for. He fulfills that obligation of the oldest son to provide for her. We we assume, therefore, that Joseph has died. It never records it. We saw him when Jesus was 12. He apparently uh, has died in the meantime. If not, Mary would be left in his care. And Jesus' concern would have not been for her, but it was. He loves her. Jesus provides her John. Faithful to that charge, it says, he took Mary to his home that very day and answered that prayer that Jesus had for her. So we turn to Luke, we reach noon, where Jesus was cast into darkness. It says it was about the sixth hour, noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, when sun's light failed. Finally, at the end of those three hours, Jesus cries out in agony with his fifth words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus is suffering is damnation. Being cast out of God's Presence. That's the punishment for sin. Not just physical death, but the ultimate price, damnation. And as Jesus is on that cross, he's being damned for our sins, for you. And as he suffers that agony of being God and yet separated from God, Jesus suffering in our place, Jesus is doing that ultimate work, answering for God's wrath in himself, paying that price in his own body that you wouldn't have that, would have forgiveness in life. Shortly after John records that depth of Jesus' suffering, He also says, knowing Jesus, that knowing that it was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. They give him some uh, sour wine. Then he loudly proclaims the sixth word, it is finished. John actually there uses one word to say that. It's a word that really could be translated paid in full. The completion. That the debt of our sins has been satisfied. The sweet comfort and the reassurance that is summed up in those simple words. There's nothing we could do to win our place in heaven. Jesus does it. We can't possibly pay for the price for our sins. Jesus does it. There's no punishment in this life or after this life. Nothing awaiting us when we die except the outstretched arms of our Savior who stretched out his arms for you. The dread of judgment day is removed. 
I don't have to worry about it. When Jesus looks on us now, he doesn't see us, our sinfulness. He sees us covered with Christ. He doesn't see any sin or guilt, only the holiness of his son shining back at him. What a joy. What a joy to know that all this is accomplished, finished, Done. There's nothing more that I can add to it. There's nothing that can be taken away from it. It is complete. It is finished. And so it being finished. Those last words of Jesus, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, Scripture says he breathed his last. Jesus died. It's funny that so often as Christians, we're tempted to see Easter as the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation, of the Old Testament and all of its promises, So much so that often we put so much energy into Easter that we forget Good Friday, but it's on Good Friday. Jesus is suffering in death that all of those promises are fulfilled, that it is finished, that Jesus is commended uh, into the Father's presence. Look again at that list where we began. Look at all of those Old Testament foreshadowings. They're foreshadowed and fulfilled in the cross. When the seed of the woman crushed, when the son of the woman, the descendant of the woman, Jesus, crushed the serpent's head. That happened on the cross. When the sacrifice demanded, foreshadowed by Isaac and Abraham offering him up, when God provides the substitute Jesus to be sacrificed on the cross. When Christ, the Passover lamb, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, took those sins away on Calvary. David's son, David's descendant, remember David slaying the giant? Jesus defeats Satan, the giant, on the cross. We think about how Jesus sealed in the lion's den of death as he's buried in that tomb. Again, reminded of how all of the Old Testament has been pointing forward to this time. How Jesus, in his parables, spoke about that judgment to come, how believers would be welcomed into God's glorious presence, how unbelievers would be bound, there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, that bitter agony of hell was placed on Jesus, his hands and feet immobilized by the nails, cast into that darkness for you. Jesus paid for each of our sins moment by moment on that cross. His heel being bruised. He was the ram caught in the thicket by horns, sacrificed as our substitute 
He is the Passover lamb, shedding his blood that the angel of death might pass over. It was on the cross that Jesus satisfied and stilled God's wrath against our sins and rescued us from an eternity in hell. Sin, death, and hell lay vanquished, defeated, powerless. Jesus would come out uh, announcing his victory on that third day. We can't quit here. Normally on Good Friday, we have about 36 hours to wait. I'm going to make you wait a week. Sorry. But as much as we think about Christ's death and the victory that is there, we do need to celebrate that victory. We're going to do that next Sunday. We're going to talk about Easter and the joy that each one of us has in that foreshadowing of our eternal victory one day in Christ. But we wait. We wait not just for next Sunday, but we wait for that ultimate victory uh, as we wait that day when God calls us home. But we always wait in faith. May you continue to have that faith in God's full sacrifice given for you. And may that peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts this weekend each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.